and welcome to Everybody A, Everybody Gay. A queer exploration of Pretty Little Liars. With your hosts, Speak Pirate, a.k.a. Joanna. I'm here, I'm queer, and I have a cat named Spencer. And your other host, LCO123, a.k.a. Vita, a proud member of the Church of Vander Jesus. Hello, and welcome to Close Encounters, where men are the absolute worst. Hannah breaks plates. And Spencer cock blocks Emily during the best Emerson scene of the whole damn series. Uh, Jake kicks a bag of knives. We get some backstory on Sean. And Veronica is going to be welcomed home by a meal of very cold duck. We also have several people peddling quite unlikely stories with the liars giving way too much credence to white men because of implicit bias. <laughs> Yes, well said. Well said. Yeah, um there is a I feel like there's a like lot of low-key queer Spencer in this episode. Um this is this episode could alternatively be titled Spencer Hastings and the No Good Very Bad Day. Yeah, yeah it could also be called Everybody Yell at Spencer because yeah. she is really <laughs> Uh, she is really on the brunt of a lot of people's mad this episode. And also, uh, I think that a case can be made that most people have a secret girlfriend in this episode. Um, <laughs> so we'll just like, keep, we'll just keep an eye out for that. Uh, Emily may have two secret girlfriends. It's hard. She may have three secret girlfriends. Does anyone even remember Paige anymore? Um, <laughs> But yeah, <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting uh, talking about Spencer. I mean, obviously we'll get into it, but we're one episode away from her relapse at this point. And so it is really interesting that she is in uh, a super. Uh, not really getting adequate support. People like her, her making mistakes that she feels really bad about place at this point, you know? Yeah. And just that, um, you know, Spencer's connection to like the world of of healthy choices and healthy things uh is sometimes stronger than others and a lot of the connections that she does have to that are being cut out from under her in this episode as it goes along yeah i i took a note you know you often will talk about um where people are drawing the circle and I took a note this episode that Spencer is routinely being drawn outside of all of these different circles in this episode. And I think it is just killing her by the end of the episode. Oh, I, I totally, I totally agree. Yeah. Well, shall we dive right in? Let's go. All right. So we begin with this. I felt like this was a really kind of like almost too much for a cold open because we pick up in the aftermath of the last episode where uh, Emily and Aria uh, believed from their text from A that they had uh, inadvertently led A to the Busy Bee Inn. So now all of the liars are driving to the Busy Bee Inn in Spencer's car. What a night they have had just <laughs> bopping all over the city. Um, they think that it's like they think that this showdown is happening tonight. Like none of them realize that they're in the middle of a half season here, you know, <laughs> and, and that they're in the middle of an episode at the beginning of an episode. Um, they're asking all sorts of questions like, will Allie even be there? Will a, uh, did they even properly decipher this clue? Is this even, you know, the spot where Allie has been hiding out? Uh, they just walk right into this abandoned busy bee in with weapons, and find some evidence that seems to suggest that somebody has been squatting there as well as a broken window. Aria, resident fashion expert, 
uh, determines that the dress they find on the floor is something Allie would would wear. They wonder, where is Allie? Was she taken? Did she fight A off? Did something worse happen? And then the door swings closed and they see a message from A, you're too late. This is a lot of action for the cold open. Yes. Um, it's it's a lot, it's a lot going on there in Spencer's car with a non-haunted GPS this time. Uh, and also, whereas it took the liars like a really long time in the last episode to like make it from point A to point B. Uh, fast travel slash teleportation has now been invented in this episode because we are frequently going to see characters like just sort of appearing in different places yes. Uh, yes. as as time goes point. on. So that that was a note that I made when we saw how quickly they are able to get to the busy bee in here. Although I'm sure Spencer is a really fast driver. Yeah, th- yeah. Spencer in particular is like teleporting all over this episode. She, <laughs> yes, she is. She's teleporting into like anywhere where someone needs to yell at someone. Boom! Spencer is Spencer is there. Indeed. Um, so Emily is now at the church, dropping off a pie that her mom made for the bake sale. She's talking on the phone to Hannah, who has a classic Hannah Marin line of it feeling like deja vu all over again. Uh, that they missed Allison at the B&B. Uh, Emily is already worked up over the idea of Allison in that room, them not knowing what happened to her. And Hannah thinks that Allie wasn't staying there, at least not last night. Uh, and she suspects that maybe A set the whole scene up just to rattle them. They hang up and Emily walks over to the devotional candles, maybe considering lighting one for Allison. Uh, we see a figure in black combat boots enter the church and skulk around in the background unnoticed by Emily's poor survival instincts. And I feel like this is a bit of bad editing because we cut to like three other scenes and then we cut back and Emily is still working on lighting this candle. Yeah. Well, I, I just assumed that maybe Emily like starts lighting candles and lights like about two dozen of them (laughs) uh, in the, in the in-between time. But yeah, they're like, they're trying to build suspense here. And so they're like, Ooh, suspense, a person is in the church. And then by the time we come back to Emily, Emily hasn't even realized that someone else is there yet. So yeah, you know she's busy she's doing like the you know candle sex magic whatever yeah yeah i guess so um so spencer is lounging in toby's clothes at toby's apartment meaning a large men's undershirt and boxers a nice queer look here um there is a knock at the door and it is her father here to see toby not see me of his daughter in Toby's clothes in Toby's apartment. Um, LOL at Spencer telling him that she was at Hannah's. Uh, no, she's with her other lover, Peter. Uh, <laughs> Spencer says she will come home as soon as he comes clean to Veronica about whatever is going on with him and Jessica. Peter waltzes right in uninvited, announcing that Jason fell off the wagon and Peter and Jessica have been working on getting him into rehab. Jason was arrested and is embarrassed and doesn't want anybody to know. And the reason that Veronica doesn't know is because she never wants to hear about Jessica or Jason again. I am really not a fan of the way that Jason's relapse becomes basically Peter's cross to bear and his opportunity to somehow look like a stand-up guy and good father. Uh, also, this is all. this doesn't exclude the possibility that he is still actively sleeping with Jessica. Uh, just then, Toby walks in in a towel, dripping wet for the shower, from the shower, announcing that he got the hot water working. 
Peter sighs at him and delivers a fabulous line. Put some pants on. We need to talk about Radley alone. So here is the first circle of the episode that Spencer is being excluded from. Yeah, this is quite a scene. Um, We also have Peter uh, who... You know, he has not come here to see Spencer, but since Spencer is here, decides to spin this entirely new story about Jason and rehab. And it's like a whole thing. He fell off the wagon. He got into a bar fight. He didn't want anyone to know about that. And then, you know, he didn't he he actually says he didn't lie to Veronica But if Veronica never heard another word about Jessica and Jason, it it wouldn't be too soon for her. So he just didn't share everything, Uh, which is quite a step. We heard him lying on the phone to Veronica just last night, like just at the end of the last episode. But hand wave that away. He was, you know, he's really demonstrating like he is the tree that Spencer's apple has not fallen far from uh, because his willingness to stretch the truth here is pretty unbelievable. Um, I will also say that uh, we talk a lot about the way that, um, like the way that the show treats different mental health issues and the way uh, that the show is going to uh, treat Charlotte as a trans person, etc. And I just want to call out here that the way that they talk about Jason and rehab throughout this episode is, like you said, it's super problematic. Peter is making it his cross to bear And even just, like, kind of acting like, oh, Jason, what a fuck up, always in and out of rehab. Like, consider instead of, like, in and out of rehab, consider alcoholism as a disease. And consider that Jason is going to be seeking treatment for a disease. Mm -hmm. You don't talk about someone, like, going in and out of chemo all the time. Like, because that's dismissive. And, it you know, it, it makes it sound like you are blaming the person instead of their disease. So I, I feel like, um, you know, Peter is, is not uh, being quite as sympathetic as the sympathetic light that he is trying to cast himself in. And also, I just want to say that it is the most Peter Hastings move of all time for him to be giving people orders about putting on pants when he is dropped in unannounced to their half-constructed, half-clothing-optional loft. <laughs> Yes, this weird, like, broken plumbing sex bungalow that Toby <laughs> lives in now. Oh, yeah, Toby, like, he's like, I just fixed the hot water. Like, you don't normally have hot water? What? What kind of place are all of these abodes in Rosewood? Oh, my. Is, is Jessica De Laurentiis his landlord? Does he need to call <laughs> Ashley Marin? Well, also remember that Toby didn't have plumbing for, like, a really long time in the loft back in season three. Right, yeah. right. And then since then, he's just had cold showers the whole time. Is that why he's always so grouchy? Also, what's the toilet situation? Oh, that's grim. I don't like yeah. to think about that. Probably yeah. Spencer has to wear his clothes because he has like no washing machine for hers. Probably, probably. Um, yeah, I, I totally agree, though, with with what you're saying about the way that the show talks about Jason. Um, I, I also I feel like there's just. It, there's just a lot of like talking about Jason, talking about Jason's alcoholism. But Jason has like zero agency in this storyline, you know? Well, yeah. And I think that one of the things that's really interesting about the way, because Jason hasn't been seen for a while, he's not going to be seen for quite some time yet. 
But when they talk about Jason in this episode, they're talking about his addiction and the way that they treat him is really going to mirror the way that they will treat Spencer when Spencer starts to kind of fall back into the grip uh, of her own substance abuse issues. And I, I, so I think that that's like sort of, it's sort of like foreshadowing for what is to come. And it's unfortunate because what a, what a, an opportunity to bring Jason back and have uh, him and Spencer kind of relate on this level. Um, And, you know, I think it's fair to say that, that Peter drinks, you know, Peter has maybe a a less than healthy relationship with alcohol as well. And so like, there's an opportunity here to do some, some work with these characters that isn't really happening. I think. Yes. Yes. I definitely agree with that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Elsewhere, Prezra, now with evil shaggy bangs, is bringing Arya coffee in his apartment. Uh, He thinks she looks like she's seen a ghost. She lies about Hannah having a rough time. And then he lies about not being able to spend the morning together because he's going to go meet a fictional college lacrosse buddy named Curtis in Philadelphia. Uh, He suggests they can have dinner together at the cabin. Arya's not sure. She gets a text from Jake, which allows him to unleash his, unleash his full passive-aggressive powers of manipulation to make her feel guilty about not having dumped Jake officially. Uh, Arya declares she will do it today because evil Predator Bang's daddy is her one <laughs> and only. Uh, again, I want to know how se- I want to note how seamlessly his new overtly evil shading blends in with the flavor of his usual man-baby variety manipulations. So true. Also, Arya is wearing Dreamcatchers for earrings, and (laughs) Prezra still has pictures uh, that Malcolm drew on his fridge. (laughs) They're both weirdos. They are. Oh, also, I think we should say that Peter's story that he is uh, peddling about Jason here I want to just flag that as like unlikely story number one that we get from a man in this episode. So we're going to, that's, that's number one. There are going to be quite a few others. So just keeping track as we go. Hash mark on the wall. Is this, uh, is this Curtis story number two? Uh, I, yeah, I think that this Curtis okay. story could be number two, especially cause he's like, Oh, you remember I've told you about him. Like, which is right. another manipulation. Make Aria feel bad because she's apparently <laughs> forgotten about your imaginary friend Curtis <laughs> well <laughs> she even throws out the name of like the one friend of his that she does know right. and he's like no no not that friend <laughs> I do know more than one adult male Ari <laughs> doesn't seem very likely not yeah totally yeah. untrue yeah um okay so Hannah is throwing a bunch of old clothes into a box while wearing a t-shirt that says creeping in all capital letters <laughs> oh Hannah uh, meanwhile Spencer is sitting on the bed eating a yogurt I think which seems like sort of a weird spot to be eating a yogurt but okay um Hannah says that she is sick of the same old things Spencer is encouraging her to not be throwing all of these things away Noting that one of the dresses that Hannah is throwing away, she bought last month, and it looks beautiful on you. Hannah tosses Spencer the dress, but Spencer would much rather see Hannah in it, and uh, would much rather if Hannah just, like, got undressed and modeled it for her right here and right now. Um, Hannah says that the last, or Spencer asks if she needs to do more processing, and Hannah says that the last thing she wants to do is discuss her feelings over a tub of Chunky Monkey. 
Um, which I feel like there we definitely saw this in the last episode, and this is here too. Like Hannah is equating seems to be equating binge eating with feeling her feelings. You know, she definitely seems to be drawing a line between those two behaviors. Like if she allows herself to feel her feelings, she will start binge eating. Um, and I think that that's something she should probably explore in therapy. Uh, were you going to say something? No, I just, I agree. And I think that what we see here is that Hannah has not developed, uh, alternative coping mechanisms. Totally. Totally. Yep. I agree. Um, Hannah, uh, ha- there's another skirt that she picks up that Spencer notes as her favorite skirt. Spencer sure seems to have like quite the inventory on Hannah's clothes and how they look on her. Hmm. Um, but Hannah says that this is actually Caleb's favorite skirt. Uh, Spencer once again invites Hannah to process. Hannah says that there is nothing to process. Ashley walks in. The Marin basement has a leaky pipe, so everything has been moved out. Uh, Spencer's just like... ...background. And when Ashley voices some concern and confusion about whatever's going on in Hannah's room, Hannah stomps out, and Ashley and Spencer exchange a look. Uh, side note, the whole Marin basement flooding situation or leaky pipe or whatever it is, it feels like kind of a hat on a hat situation. Like it's all just <laughs> the sake of getting a pool table in the Marin foyer, which, man, this feels like a lot of heavy lifting for us to get there. Well, and it would be literally extremely heavy lifting to haul an entire <laughs> pool table up a flight of stairs from the basement just because there's a leaking pipe. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I was assuming it was like a full-on flood down there. Well, a flood that, however, didn't damage the pool table. And also, the the pool table belongs to Tom Marin. He left it behind. Like, there's a lot. They use up all their creativity to create the existence of the pool table and to have the pool table be, like, in the downstairs for this part of the episode. Uh, And they seem to do it just so that they can have, like, every scene that you imagine happening with two straight people around a pool table yes. uh, can happen. They, they use up all their creativity on it real early. Yeah, they couldn't have had them, like, playing cards or something. Like, it's such a bizarre invention of this episode that they need to be playing pool, and they have to be playing it in the Marin house because you have to have the scene where Ashley comes in and sees them. And so it's like, it's we have to jump through so many hoops. It's just, it's, it's bizarre. It is truly weird. Um... And also, I feel like, you know who Hannah actually needs in this episode? Like, she has so many people who are, like, trying to make her do, like, grieving their way. She actually needs Mona. Mona would let Hannah do whatever she wants to do until Hannah is ready to feel her feelings. And I I just wish that Mona were here to help her. Also, Spencer looks real comfortable on Hannah's bed. I feel like Spencer... It almost feels like they're giving Spencer some, like, Mona-ish flirting with Hannah lines in this episode. Like, Spencer's, like, holding down the, like, flirting with Hannah fort right now. Yeah, yeah. And she, like, you know, she also has Mona's encyclopedic knowledge of Hannah's wardrobe and how everything fits her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not just the clothes. It's specifically how the clothes hug every curve of Hannah's body. Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Just gals being pals, you know. Super, super straight behavior. Yeah. <laughs> so Emily has just lit one or two dozen while the episode was looking <laughs> on everyone else votive candles for Allison. And don't forget, like I said before, that candles equal lesbian sex magic on this show. 
But instead of conjuring lesbian sex with the returned Allison, they instead conjure Emily getting spooked by an unknown presence that reveals itself to be Shauna, who says that she has a message for Emily. From who? From Allison. Way to not keep your voices down at all there, ladies, while you're talking in this echoey public church. Um, yeah, they're, they're really something. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, they they certainly they certainly are. Um, oh, did you want to take the next one, scene or should yeah, I? The, yeah, the show, like, they cut to commercial, and then they come back, and Emily claims Allison is dead. Isn't that what you told Spencer at the hospital? Uh, and Shauna says that Allison wants them to stop looking for her because it's too dangerous. They almost got her killed at the B&B last night. Uh, Emily says that Shauna didn't even know Allison, Shauna explains that she's known her since they were three. She grew up next door to Allison's grandma in Georgia. Well, Emily throws out, if she were really friends with Allison, she wouldn't be so close to Jenna. And then Shauna says, Allison asked her to come to Rosewood to help figure out who's after her, and Jenna was on the list. Keep your friends close and your enemies closer. Uh, Emily is just not sold. She's less than convinced. And she says that if Shauna is really in contact with Allison, prove it. I really like the idea of like Allison sending Shauna on like this like black ops mission and Shauna being like, I am just going to like, like screw my way through every person on this list. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, isn't it just, isn't it just something how all of Allison's enemies are also queer women? Like (laughs) how convenient. I know. I know. So I sort of have a question in here, which is like, should this just be Jenna? Would this just all make more sense if this was Jenna? Oh, that's an interesting, that's an interesting uh, theory. I think, I think you could make a case for like that maybe it was supposed to be uh, because it would give like, it, it would give more resonance to like when Jenna says uh, in, uh, in the Halloween episode where it's the flashback when she says that she knew who Allison was like before mm-hmm. she came to town and stuff like that, it would definitely like pay off that idea. Uh, but I actually think that whether it's meant to be Jenna or whether this is just Shauna, it makes Shauna a lot more interesting to give her like an actual backstory of like having known Allison and being like Allison's ally and also kind of a double agent in like trying to find out who A is from from like a more aggressive strategy standpoint. I totally agree. I I really wish that Shauna was written and acted more dynamically because <laughs> it's I I think this is a really totally interesting wrinkle to her character and it I never feel like it like pays off the way that it potentially could. Um yeah, yeah, yeah. I I would agree with that and I I will also say that um you know, we sometimes say that, like, the actress who, who plays Shauna, who I'm sure is a lovely person, uh, but who, who plays her rather flat sometimes, um, credit to Shay Mitchell for really carrying the Emily and Shauna scenes in this episode, uh, because they have several of them. They have this scene, they have the scene on the park bench later, and then they're going to have the scene in the car uh, when Shauna drives Emily to the meetup. And Emily's, like, nervous tension uh, and, and like vibrating with love for the returned Allison, really, uh, really carry it through. 
Yeah, I I know we sometimes we sometimes rag on Shay. I think she's actually really good in this episode. I think this I, is a, a what maybe one of Shay's best episodes. Completely agree. Yeah. Um. So Peter is explaining to Toby that Radley is offering him a settlement. Uh, Toby is disappointed, but Peter says that there isn't much evidence to support shutting Radley down. Let this storyline die, Toby. <laughs> to be pleading, and we plead with him. Um, we learn that no one else, according to Peter, that no one else is willing to testify against Radley, which I find a little hard to believe. Uh, Peter tells Toby that at least now he finally knows the truth about his mother. Peter apparently spoke to Toby's father, who Toby never actually gets to interact with on screen, nor do we ever meet? Like, I just, I feel like, what's the relationship between Toby and his father? I feel like that's a whole other show. Um, Toby, for whatever reason, needs to sign, uh, to sign the agreement in order for them to move forward. Peter says that this could possibly help Toby's future and let us never speak of it again. <laughs> yeah, this is a great example of how money doesn't exist on the show. Like, Toby is a teen who works sporadically as a carpenter, architect, uh, you know, like whatever the heck he does uh, and has been living in this loft in order to fix it up for over a year. So like, what is money to him? Like what, what motivation does he have to take a financial settlement of any kind? <laughs> right. Well, and also we don't really know like the, the Kavanaugh family's financial status at all. I mean, we presume that they're, you know, well off, they live in Rosewood, but like, are they like more like the fields? Do they live a little bit more modestly? Are they more like the Hastings? Like we just, we really don't know. No, I guess I think that they're a little bit more like the fields because he lives next door to Emily. So I assume like they're in the <clears throat> more slightly more modest neighborhood. But yeah, we don't know what the parents do. The parents are like never around. Jenna like basically lives on her own. Toby lives on his own. So yeah. it, it doesn't seem like, it doesn't seem like they're in any kind of, uh, any kind of hurt whatsoever yeah for sure it it would be interesting I mean obviously they couldn't really do this because they needed Radley to be like the place where everybody ended up but it would have been kind of interesting if they'd done a thing where like like depending on your sort of financial status you ended up in Radley or you ended up at like the fancy private you know sector like you know mental health institution or something yeah yeah that would that would be a great point um, also, it just goes to show like how ridiculous this whole plot line with his mom wound up being because like they're even now, like as they're wrapping it up, there are so many more interesting things they could have done. Like what if Toby's dad like had Marion committed when she shouldn't have been or what mm -hmm. if his dad was the killer and now he's trying to get everybody to sign this thing that like, but we never see his dad. We never like examine any of those possibilities. We're just like sign these papers and then never speak of it again. Right. What if his dad had and, you know, wanted to cover it up for whatever. Like, yeah, there are right. many missed opportunities. Yeah. Right. And we never find out how much the settlement is either. So like the settlement could be like, it could be like a million dollars. It could be like a hundred thousand dollars. It could be $20. We have no idea. <laughs> right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That would, that would seem and we also we have no idea even what Toby's like what Toby wants for his future at this point I mean soon he'll become a cop but like <laughs> that doesn't seem to be at all on his radar at this point and so it's like that would add more stakes to this too like if Toby was like actively saving for college or something you know and this money could help him get there 
Yeah. Well, we we don't think that Toby pays rent on this loft because he's allegedly living there until whatever time he gets it all fixed up, even though it still doesn't have hot water and stuff. So like, <laughs> or walls. He 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 doesn't pay rent. Like I have no idea what he eats. He probably just like wanders around town and like snacks on fruit that's fallen from trees. Like <laughs> you just, there's the like what need does he have of money? It's never <laughs> it's never been a thing. His girlfriend bought his truck for him. Like, right. (laughs) I feel like he's a smoothie guy. Toby feels like he'd be a smoothie guy to me. Yeah, I could see that. Well, I was also thinking he lives above the brew, so he might just like, he might just like go down there and like either dumpster dive whatever food they've thrown away at the end of the night or like when they're gone, he comes down and like eats a whole pie out of the pastry (laughs) case. I could see that. I could see that. Huh. So uh, Arya meets up oh. with Karate Jake, uh, and he can tell that the vibe is off fairly quickly. It's not his new half-season haircut or his old punching bag that she thinks he should probably replace, nor is it the gash over his eye or the news that he made it to Karate Nationals. <laughs> she doesn't want to kiss him and hesitates to go out to lunch, but also can't seem to get the words out to break it off uh as she circles around the point he fills in the blanks she's back with prezra uh he's confused and hurt he thought that things were going so well uh aria claims that she and prezra have a lot of history but she and jake can still be friends he is going to need a little time on that oh man okay i feel like aria is wearing a very ella-esque scarf through this whole scene also, she could not give less of a shit about this guy. Like, I I feel, I feel bad for Jake in this episode. I actually feel like Jake, like, later he is going to say some, like, he is, he is, he is going to make some points that are good points about one Mr. Prezra fits. You know, it's so interesting. Uh, Jake really seems like he is, like, in Buffy season five when Ben is glory and sometimes people will figure it out and they'll be like, Ben yeah. is glory! And then they'll forget, like, two seconds later. Um, Jake is very much the person who's saying, like, Ben is glory! Prezra is bad! Prezra is scary! You should look out for him! Uh, and, like, Arya is just, like, really not not hearing him. Uh, but I also think it's so interesting that the only other person who has really reacted appropriately when they found out about Prezra was Noel Khan. So it's like, it's always cast as like, oh, Arya's other boyfriends just get so jealous about Prezra. But like, no, these these were two guys who like very consistently saw that like, this is not a good situation for her. Not at all. Well, you know, the third person to do that was Liam, who called Prezra a predator. So that's a theme of Arya's other boyfriends being the only people to point that out. Um, and what's unfortunate about that is that then it can sort of cast it all as like romantic jealousy rather than people who care about Arya making a point about this bad dude that she's spending a lot of time with a hundred percent true yeah um so Spencer Toby's other lawyer apparently is reading over the um agreement she points out that there's a gag clause in the contract and Toby won't be able to uh, speak publicly about any of this. Uh, Spencer is, of course, suspicious of Peter moving on from his apparent desire to shut down Radley. Spencer is still really committed to this idea that Marion's death was not an accident. Um, and uh, she's like, I feel like it. 
this is I don't know if this is just Spencer being Spencer or what, but she's very much like, maybe it wasn't. Maybe it wasn't. Um, Toby is worried about the shame of Marion's mental illness getting aired out in court, which is unfortunate. Um, and Spencer encourages him to get more information before signing. Well, I think that this is such a weird situation because previously all Toby wanted was to be able to tell people that his mom didn't commit suicide. And so you would really think that this gag order would be a deal breaker on that front because then he won't be allowed to tell anyone. Uh, And Mm -hmm. also, like, the, the way that he's acting, he's like, well, if we took them to court, all of this stuff would come out and it would get ugly. All right. Well, so what is the drawback of not signing for the settlement? and not suing them like then you could just wave around your little letter about how your mom didn't commit suicide to your heart's content like the only difference i guess is that he wouldn't get this unknown and never ever referenced after this amount of money weird yeah i i agree and it's like the it's like the priorities of this situation for toby are just shifting moment to moment based on the whims of the plot it's mm-hmm. very weird yeah yes yes and also just like poor spencer now doing legal work for toby in addition to her constant emotional labor of managing all of his big boy feelings yes she is both his therapist his lawyer and his mother oh my gosh um also so in the next scene uh emily is giving the liars an update on her shauna interaction and i just want to point out that Spencer is really getting her steps in on this day. She started out at Toby's loft. Then we saw her on Hannah's bed going through Hannah's closet. Then she was like back to the loft to, uh, to deal with Toby again. Now she's here with Emily getting an update on the Shauna interaction. Uh, she is, she is everywhere. Um, and this liar- is, I think is taking place at Aria's house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. she's just yeah. like she is just crisscrossing, crisscrossing the town. Um, the liars are skeptical. Uh, Spencer says she thinks that Shauna is who they've always suspected, uh, a minion of A. Uh, their rationale here is that if Shauna says they need to stop looking for Allie, then that is so. Like A wants them uh, to stop looking for Allie so that A can continue the hunt without the liars getting in the way. Uh, Emily is kind of half convinced already, though, and she's also not telling the liars the proof that she requested from Shauna. She's keeping that to herself. Uh, Aria hetero-contextualizes the impossibility of Allie having some friend willing to move up from Georgia to help her, all while Emily is just sitting there quivering with love for Allison. Like, <laughs> if, if Allison had said to Emily, like, you need to move to Montana and, like, do recon for me, Emily would obviously do that, like, right now, even though Allison's been missing for so long. Like, but Aria is just like, I just can't imagine that anyone would do that or why they would. I mean, whoa. <laughs> just two girls who are friends. Why would they do such a thing? I mean, she's really earning the Susie Clueless nickname she here. She really is. Yep. Um, there's also a nice brief mention of Paige uh, to simultaneously remind us that she exists while also throwing some suspicion on her yet again. Because Shauna started taking up with Paige when she came to town. So maybe Paige was on the list of suspects also. Oh, my God. I feel like there is just so much faulty logic in this scene. So (laughs) Anna Anna says at one point, she's like, well, Allie never mentioned Shauna. 
So like, obviously this whole story is a lie. And then Emily is quick to point out, like there are dozens of people that Allie had relationships with and, and knew that we never heard about. So at least that gets called out. But like the whole thing about Paige, like they're like, oh, was Paige on Allie's list? And Emily seemingly having forgotten her girlfriend's entire history with Allie <laughs> is like, oh yeah, maybe, I don't know. Could be. <laughs> Who's Paige again? Um, and then I completely did not follow this logic. So they say, why would Allie trust Shauna more than us? And Emily's like, well, somebody's been torturing us. So is the logic there that like, beca- that because Allie knows about A, she feels like the liars are not safe. Like they can trust Shauna because A is not after Shauna. Because A is not watching Shauna. Because, because A, A doesn't know. To, like Shauna okay. is like a sleeper agent, secret agent type situation. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I felt like that was like not super clearly written because they're also, they also keep bandying around this idea that Shauna is part of the A-team, which when Spencer's like, she's who we always thought of part of the A-team. Is that who you always thought Shauna was? I, it's, who, it's who they always thought she was this week since like two seconds ago when Spencer thought, just said that. Yeah, I thought that you thought that she was part of like the Jenna Melissa team, which you have repeatedly declared is not the A team. So like that just seemed that just seemed really um yeah, th- there's just there's a lot of bad logic in this scene. Well, and all the credit that they're willing to give white men with unlikely stories in this episode versus like the suspicion yeah. that they treat Shauna, uh, a black queer woman with, with her story, which is actually true, uh, <laughs> is is quite something. Yes. Oh, it most certainly is. It most certainly is. So uh, Travis arrives at Hannah's. Uh, oh, the one thing I wanted to point out in that scene is that the scene ends with a line from Emily, Allie could make someone love her enough to do that, which is an important line for Emily. Emily is, Emily's going through it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So Travis arrives at Hannah's. Uh, She hands him back the umbrella that they'd presumably borrowed from the storm last week. Um, and a whole bunch of stuff, including the aforementioned pool table, are cluttered all around the Marin front room. Uh, this is like, I mean, we already said, like, this pool table nonsense is ridiculous. It feels like such a lazy way to force heterosexual chemistry. It's like, I don't know, have them play pool around a pool table that's just inexplicably in the front room. Um he is, you know, asks if she's okay. She says that she's she's fine. You know, she just needed to kind of like blow off some steam, what with the crying and all. Um, and she invites him to a game of pool, which uh, he agrees to. Well, yes. The, the, the less said about this situation, the better. Um, now, I know that you live in a very rainy place. And I'm just going to ask you, like, ha- you know, in, in terms of like, have you ever answered a cell phone that wasn't yours? Have you ever deliberately called someone over to your house to return an umbrella to them no i can say i i can honestly say i never have done that have you ever been called over to someone else's house so that they could return an umbrella to you uh no i can't say i've ever (laughs) had that happen either (laughs) i'm this is a very flimsy pretext that's all i have to say it's extremely extremely flimsy well this whole thing is a flimsy pretext (laughs) All of this for the sake of Hannah doesn't want to be alone. They, yeah, they used up all of their creativity on 
and like the the, the pool table suddenly existing <laughs> on the first floor of Hannah's house, and then they just were like, oh, they were like mad living the rest of it, like umbrella, <laughs> and you know, right? Yes, and and um, yeah. I mean, it's this is where like if. Travis was a character like if Travis was okay okay I'll give them a break we're not doing the Mona thing we're not making it queer like only in fanfic whatever but like this is where like if Travis was Mike there are like a whole bunch of reasons that you could give for like why Mike might come over like maybe you know something related to Arya or like you know like there are there are there are reasons why Mike and Hannah might interact but like yes. they have to jump through 10,000 hoops to make it even put us in a situation where Travis and Hannah would be interacting. Yes. Yes. So true. Uh, so on the green again in broad daylight and using normal tons of voice, <laughs> Shauna is reciting word for word the scene uh, from after Allie pulled Emily out of the carbon monoxide barn. This was obviously what Emily had asked her to get for proof of her being in touch with Allison. And uh, this is a lot like when you say something out loud, it takes on a different life than when it exists only in your head. Like Shauna is basically reciting back like, you know, a Romeo and Juliet scene of Allison to Emily. Like Allison told Emily she misses her the most, that she was always her favorite. She gave her a choice to come with her and then she kissed her. And, like, how this must feel for Emily. Because, like, for one thing, she's getting confirmation that this moment really happened. It wasn't a delusion. Like, Allison really was there. She pulled her out of the barn. She said all these things to her. She kissed her unprompted. Uh, so, like, you know, all that is real. And also, Allison is willing to go into detail about it with a third party, with Shauna. Allison is owning it. Uh, and it signals... Not only that Shauna is for real, but that Allison trusts her to this extent. Uh, and it also says that maybe this is a new Allison. She's more willing to be like a little more open about her feelings than she ever has been previously. And all of this is just like catnip for poor Emily, whose heart is like basically beating outside of her chest right now. Uh, she's now sold on Shauna's tale 100%. Uh, upon questioning, Shauna says that she's known Allie was alive since Mona went to Radley. She never knows where Allie is. Allison finds her. Uh, she says that Allison wants to meet with Emily, but that it has to be alone. That's the only way it will be safe. Why her, Emily wonders. And Shauna closes out strong, saying, guess you really were her favorite. Oh, man. Yeah. I feel like... Um... Shauna and Allie like ran through this a few times and they were like oh yeah this is gonna work quite nice <laughs> yeah like Shauna is just like reeling Emily in with every word of this scene and you just see like the suspicion that Emily had when Shauna first approached her is just being like it's just being dissolved uh, in in her like increasingly gooey feelings about Allison here, yeah, and I mean it's 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 great because like everything related to Allison and specifically Allison and Emily, like it's it's not straightforward. Like it's not it's not just a complete like declaration of love or declaration of loyalty. Like 
this information that Shauna has known Allie is alive for all this time and that Shauna knew and Emily didn't like that. You just see that like socks Emily in the chest, you know? Yes. But that Allison now wants to meet with Emily. No one else. Just Emily. Just Emily. Oh man. All right. So Travis is mansplaining pool to Hannah and we get like some like pool cam. Did you notice this? There's like, yes. it's like they like set the camera up like on the pool table. Like somebody a little, little de-directing here. Um, Hannah says that she had to get the tears out of her system. Um, it really does seem like, you know, she just doesn't want to be alone. Like she just doesn't want to be alone here. And this guy seems easy enough and kind enough and into her enough. Um, he does the whole like sneak up behind you and put your arms around you to teach you a, a, a thing move. Uh, Hannah takes the shot and uh, says in a very cute way, watch out, Travis, I'm coming for you. Yeah, my note on the scene is like, it's the paint by numbers leaning over to show a girl how to play pool situation. Heterosexuality is so unimaginative. Completely. Yes. Yeah, we've seen this scene in 8 billion things. Oh, yeah. Um Spencer and Emily are having a super queer conversation. Uh, Spencer has like magicked herself uh, now over to have this conversation with Emily. Uh, and Spencer is wearing a sweater that has giraffes on it. Um, you know, queer, queer look or not, I thought that was notable. Uh, <laughs> Emily is telling her that she's checked Shauna's story. She did grow up next to Allie's grandparents. Uh, she explains that Shauna knew everything about the conversation that she had with Allie outside the barn. Spencer says A always knows things that seem impossible for them to know, but Emily admits that Allison wants to meet up with her alone. Spencer insists that this has to be A. Emily is sure it isn't this time. Spencer asks why Allie would want to meet Emily alone, and although Emily doesn't say it, like the clear feeling that she has is that Allison might have feelings for her too, or that her feelings for Allison are what make her the most loyal and therefore uh, the most worthy of being trusted. Also, uh, just to like do the how close are their faces watch, uh, how close are their faces here? They're very close. Their bodies are very close. And it really, uh, this really can read like a scene of like, your current girlfriend is upset because you're going to have this meeting with your ex-girlfriend and she is not cool with it. So watching this scene is the first moment in this episode where I'm like, are Spencer and Emily secretly girlfriends? Just to hold that thought in your heart. Oh, yeah. It's going to get a lot more uh, probable <laughs> as the episode goes on. Like, yeah. um, I also found myself in my notes at a certain point, I was doing a lot of like, oh, person, like, <laughs> this will not go the way you think it will. And here I just took, wrote like, oh, Emily, of course Spencer will make you sorry that you told her this thing. Like, of course she will. <laughs> yeah. Um, obviously the person who Emily should have told here was Hannah. Um, yeah. Or or Aria, who is a friend to secret relationships of all kinds. Um, oh, Aria would like help Emily pick out an out. <laughs> Actually, I think Aria would probably be, I mean, depending on the reaction Emily wanted. I mean, because you could make the argument that she tells Spencer because she kind of wants to be talked, like part of her wants to be talked out of it, too. 
you know. Oh, I, I definitely, I definitely think that's true. Um, I feel like Hannah would like probably like counsel Emily similarly that it's a, it's a bad idea. Um, Aria, I think would go like manic pixie dream Aria and she would have like decorated the warehouse with like spangles or something. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's an interesting, like which, which liar shifts Emerson the most? Oh, I mean, I think. I, feel I like, think I'm going to say Arya. Really? Because Arya's a little bit of a paley shipper at mm. times. I don't know. We'll have to keep an eye on this. Yeah, yeah, true. Ma- maybe Arya's a multi-shepper. Arya just loves love. Yeah. Yes, Arya loves love. Arya thinks that the, the gays should get to be happy. Yes, she does. Speaking of Arya, <laughs> this is such a that's so Arya scene. <laughs> Arya arrives home to find a present from Jake, which is uh, a a present that he sent her clearly before the breakup. A truly disgusting pair of earrings that she would never wear with her name written on them. That's so Aria. (laughs) And like the return address is like something something fine jewelers. Fine jewelers at like Claire's at the mall that will put your name on some earrings for you. These are hideous. I'm sorry, Jake. These I are, mean, these they are, are they are hideous, but I am going to point out that she's wearing dream catchers in her ears for the whole episode. So I think I like know. the ugliness or attractiveness of earrings is not necessarily but they're a, like, ugly. a deciding point for her. They're ugly in a way that Ar- where Arya wouldn't wear them. Like, I feel like Arya, Arya has, a, like, she has, like, a curated style of, like, hideous <laughs> she wears. This is, like, this is, like, basic hideous. Like, Arya would never go for these. I, I cannot disagree with you. They are, they are very bad. <laughs> Thank you. At the House of Hastings. Oh, look, their private chef is back. (laughs) Now, I just want to note that the first time we see their private chef here, she is pulling a roast duck out of of the oven to go with some mushroom puffs and a fruit tart. This is all because Veronica is going to be home soon. Uh, So, like, you're serving her cold duck then since she isn't here yet? Uh, but Peter and Spencer argue some more about his role in pushing Toby into the settlement. He goes upstairs to shower. So he has to take a whole shower before Veronica comes home? Like, why is dinner ready so long? Like, all of the food is going to be cold. Like, this is the perfect welcome back for Veronica. Like, hey, we're glad you're here. We already ate. and Here's a bunch of cold food for you <laughs> that we've left out to congeal. Um, but anyway... Uh, He's going to go upstairs to shower and he wants Spencer to make herself useful by picking out some upbeat music for dinner. Uh, He also offers her a mushroom puff in this scene, apparently unaware that Spencer is allergic to mushrooms. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Peter's just a real jerk um, here. And also did so did the Kavanaugh's like officially hire him? Because at first it seemed like he was just, like, helping out Toby. But now it's not... I mean, the way he's talking is, like, the Kavanaugh's are, like, his clients. So I guess they did. I mean, as much as anyone has hired him, or he's just being a big Budinsky. Yeah, maybe so. It could could be. Um, Jake 
walking in town, sees Prezra yelling car at a woman who I thought was Maggie for a second, but it's not. It's just a different blonde woman yelling about how this conversation isn't over and she'll be sorry. And he's having a full on entitled man, baby creep freak out in the middle of the street and slams on the car as the woman drives away. Yeah. Again, exactly who we've always believed him to be. Yes. Oh, completely. Uh, oh, could I? I'm so sorry. I know you've had so much of oh no the pool I will scene, but you're you're the resident heterosexual pool playing expert. <laughs> Apparently so. That is a label I never would have would have thought I'd I'd earn. But today's the day. Lucky me. Um, yes. Hannah has just won her fifth game in a row. And there's definitely this vibe that, like, Hannah's just been prolonging this, you know, as long as possible. Travis says that he's ready to take off. They hug, and then she kisses him. And then she, like, she pulls a line that I feel like she learned from Mona, where she's like, of course you're not into me like that. Which, like, oh, Hannah, of course he is. Uh, But Travis points out that she is just getting out of a relationship. Hannah insists that she is out and it's done. Um, He wants more time, but she kisses him again, and this time he kisses back. Oh, straight people. (laughs) Yes, that's all we can say, right? (laughs) Oh, so I thank you for taking that terrible scene so that I can talk about Emily here. Emily is getting all dressed up for her date. She is looking at herself in the mirror. She's adjusting her leather-sleeved blazer that she's going to be wearing. Uh, She's putting on lipstick. She's making sure her hair looks as lustrous as possible. And basically, she is just tearing out my heart because it could not be clearer just how much this means to her and how, Mm -hmm. like, she is just, like, she is in the headspace right here that, like, if she can just do this right, she might be able to get Allison back. Like, mm-hmm. if she wears the outfit that's cute enough, like, if her blazer has, like, leather sleeves, but, like, a soft front that Allison can, like, rest her head on. I mean, <laughs> Emily... Like, Emily is going for it. She is going for it here. And you just get the feeling that when she looks at herself in the mirror, there is no way that Emily doesn't know what she wants out of this meeting. Yeah. Oh, for sure. For sure. And I really like how Shay plays this scene because it's there's nerves. There's even some sort of... Like, she's sort of judging herself as she's doing all of this, you know? She's judging herself for wanting it so much, and yet she wants it so much, you know? Yeah. Oh, my God. I mean, this is just, this is a scene that just tugs on my heartstrings every time because you just, like, this is truly a moment where if, like, someone popped up and said, like, what about Paige? Or if, like... Paige herself happened to like run into Emily on the street outside. You really do feel like Emily would be like, Paige who? Like it's like right. not even on <laughs> her radar. Yeah, yeah, like yeah, every every like fiber of her being uh is vibrating with the potential of seeing Allison. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's and when we later like we get more of a full look at this outfit, and she's <laughs> she's she's showing off some assets here. She she wants Allie to take notice. Yes, yes. I mean, I think it's a good choice. It is a great it is a great outfit. Here, it's it we get it we get it from the waist up, and then we're gonna see that she is later wearing short shorts, uh, or I'm not. It might be a shirt, but. Uh, or a skirt rather, but her legs are like long and on display and she's wearing those like cute little, cute little ankle boots. Uh, and yeah. yeah, she's, she's ready. She's ready. She's ready for whatever might happen in that warehouse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, Emily. Okay. <laughs> Back to heterosexual pool time. Um, meanwhile, Travis and Hannah are still making out when Ashley walks in and loudly slams the door. They separate and it is awkward. Uh, Hannah, who's like in control of most of the music in this episode, uh, turns off the music uh, when Ashley pulls her away to go talk in the kitchen. Ashley thought that Hannah and Travis were just friends. Hannah says they are. Ashley replies, you kiss all your friends like that? Mona would like a word. Don't He's us, Ashley. Hannah doesn't confirm or deny that. I will just say. <laughs> um, Ashley says that she is concerned. Uh, Travis leaves with Hannah's lipstick all over his neck. Ashley rightly points out that Hannah will thank her later, and she will not be deterred by Hannah getting sassy with her about hooking up post-breakup. Hannah says that she is sick of everyone telling her what to do about her broken heart. But I love Ashley in the scene. Like She's super just like... She is not going to be, she's not going to let Hannah push her away here. Yeah, and she's not going to be drawn into, like, Travis pro or con. Like, she is not going to, like, yeah. she she understands that Travis himself is completely insignificant. So she does not go right. down that road, which I really appreciate. How furious, though, do you think Mona must be at the fact that, like, clearly Hannah just needed like somebody to hook up with this night somebody to distract her for a few hours and Mona is like right there I told you that there should have been a lot more Mona in this episode like yes yeah yeah huh um at the Hastings Spencer uses the time that her dad is upstairs to sneak a look into his briefcase she is flipping through the files and what she discovers is that the official correspondence on Radley letterhead lists the board of trustees, one of whom is Jessica De Laurentiis. Peter comes downstairs and catches Spencer in the act. She is defiant and asks if Jessica is the one who told him Marion's death was an accident or if it was his idea to sell it that way. He says she has nothing to do with it and he's furious at Spencer for snooping. She asks if Jason is even in rehab or if he made that up too. He says... He's going to pick up Veronica from the airport. And if Spencer is going to continue to try and hold him accountable for his bad actions, she should find somewhere else to eat. He's a rich, straight white guy, after all. They don't stand for this type of behavior. Uh, Spencer calls Toby and leaves a quick voicemail saying, whatever he does, do not sign the settlement papers. Don't do it. She'll explain later. Yes. Yeah. So this is, it feels like another circle that Spencer is, is being excluded from is this circle of Veronica and Peter. You go find somewhere else to be tonight. Yeah. And it's, it's pretty rough. Also, so Veronica hasn't even been picked up from the airport. Like dinner has been like (laughs) taken out of the oven. Peter had to go shower. Now they're going to pick her up from the airport. Uh, And also 
Peter and Spencer are having this like vicious personal fight in front of the private chef. Like, I know. obviously, like, obviously, this is a Beauty and the Beast situation where they just like think that their servants are like inanimate objects who, you know, don't hear or see anything that's going on, or they have them all sign NDAs. Probably that. I think that that is most likely. Yeah. The, talk about a gag clause for. <laughs> Um, so Hannah is listening to sad music in bed when Ashley comes in telling her that they are going out. A question I have is, why is everybody dressed like it's summer in this episode? <laughs> Everybody's yeah. in like tank tops and like short shorts and stuff. Yeah, and Hannah is like, uh, she's wearing a tank that has lipstick tubes as the pattern on it here. Yeah. Um, why don't I take the next scene so that this can work out so you get to talk about the warehouse scene? Oh, yeah, that would be great. Yeah, I think the math will work on that. And that was such a short one. Um, So Aria tries to return the earrings to the karate dojo. Like, Aria, you're just making everything worse. Like, this is just making it so much worse because she, like, awkwardly thanks him for them. Jake is like, what am I going to do with these? Like, you're the only Aria in my life. (laughs) Yes, she is truly one of a kind. He says that he cares about her and he doesn't know why she'd want to be with a guy like Ezra. When she asks what he means by that, he tells her that he saw Ezra yelling at a blonde. Ezra, who has allegedly been in Philly all day with his imaginary friend. Jake always wondered if Ezra was the person Arya was afraid of. And Arya just scoffs at this, fiercely insisting that Prezra doesn't have a mean bone in his body. Keep your eyes open, Jake says. Oh, Jake, Arya's eyes are firmly closed. Yes, yes. Uh, this is a great scene. Uh, I love that Arya is trying to return these personalized earrings back to Jake. It's so Arya, right? Yeah, but props to Jake for like really pointing out, like, I always thought this was who you were afraid of, and it would make sense if that were true. Yeah. For sure. It would totally make sense. Hmm. Uh, So Ashley is the best mom in the world. She takes Hannah to a place called Cracked Up and talks about getting past anger, something she knows about from personal experience. Uh, It won't make Caleb have not left her, but it can help her get to a place where it at least feels different. And like just huge, huge props to Ashley for understanding that Hannah needs an outlet and for giving her one that is not like hooking up with this new guy that is not eating ice cream. And, you know, like it is throwing these plates at the wall until she feels a little bit better. Yeah. Kind of wasteful, but apparently also kind of fun. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe they like pick up the scraps and make cool art with it or something. Maybe you do. Yeah. Oh, so Aria is reading a magazine, trying to look busy, when Prezra walks in, uh, he talks about, he has to come in talking about, you know, that he wishes he could come home to this every night. And uh, twittering about his his fake night with his fake friend. Arya reveals that Jake saw him. And there's a very interesting moment where Prezra is facing away from her. And he gets a total sociopath look on his face. And then when he turns around, it's like his kind of smiley Prezra expression. Uh, but that that sociopath is, in fact, the real Prezra. Uh, Arya asks if he even went to Philly. He says he didn't. The woman in the car was Maggie's lawyer, and Maggie is trying to prevent him from seeing Malcolm. 
which makes sense. Malcolm is not his child and Maggie (laughs) is moving away. Uh, And nothing like screaming at a lawyer in the street to make it seem like you're, you know, a nice, grounded, responsible person who should be spending time around a child. Prezra, as always, blames Maggie and Malcolm for the previous breakup and the fact that he uh, lied to Arya. And then he uses some weaselly passive voice to describe the situation and frame Jake as a liar. You know, words were exchanged. Things got heated. It's just a real masterclass in manipulation. He says he made a mistake and is sorry. She affirms her her decision to choose him. What a prince. Uh, I hate that, like, in the middle of all this, he's like, so this is, this is, uh, unlikely story number three of this episode yeah. where he just like he like okay so I lied to you about going to meet up with my friend in Philadelphia uh, but now I'm going to make up this new story about how I want to see Malcolm even though he's not my kid uh, and I'm not related to him and Maggie's moving away like I still am going to go through all this stuff with lawyers where I'm yelling at them on the street and I didn't tell you about it because I was afraid it would make you upset. So it's like, it's really Arya's fault that he had yep. to lie to her in this way. Um, and Jake just must have misunderstood. Or he is trying to make poor Prezra, virtuous, virtuous man of the world, look bad. Like, you don't need help looking bad. You just lied for no reason about this, like, somewhat major thing like won't that affect Arya's future with Prezra if he's going to be like flying off to Seattle to see this kid like that's still something that it's like important for you guys to talk about but no no it would be too upsetting exactly yep yep yeah he just he he, he manages to twist every detail to perfectly fit his little narrative yeah and like you see him do this and you just get the feeling like yeah he does this kind of stuff all the time Oh, yes. Yeah. It's just second nature to him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, man, it's here. So Shauna and Emily pull up at an abandoned factory warehouse. Uh, Shauna is not going in. Emily gets out of the car and walks uncertainly towards the door, but not before Shauna drives off, leaving Emily totally alone and weighing her desire to see Allison against her hope of not getting murdered. Um, she is, as we said before, wearing, uh, you know, like her legs are just on full display. She's got these cute boots and a white undershirt with a leather sleeved blazer. Uh, her phone is clutched in her hand and she goes in. She wanders about inside. Everything is creepy. A silhouette appears behind her. And this is the moment. It is Allison. Ah, so I really feel like this is maybe the best Emerson scene of the series for me. Wow. Um, okay. It is it is complicated, and there there are so many layers. Um, you know, there's this moment where they just look at each other. Uh, Emily very softly says, "It's really you," and Allie responds, "I missed you so much." Uh, There's this long, hard hug where Emily just pulls Allison into her arms. Allie is saying all the things that Emily's wanted to hear. Like, you have no idea how hard it's been to stay away. Emily begs her, like, then don't anymore. She's so Emily. She's so optimistic. She keeps her hands on Allie's arms, not breaking the physical connection between them. Uh, She thinks they could go to the police or to Allie's parents. 
Uh, Allison, of course, says that, you know, wish I could, but she doesn't know who she can trust. Emily says, you can trust me, Spencer, Aria. Allison knows that she can trust Emily. She isn't sure about the others. And my God, the eye contact in this scene. No wonder Emily gets so mad at Spencer because it really does look like the two of them might rip each other's clothes off in the near future. Especially as Allie's next question is, you never stopped caring about me, did you? Even after everything I put you through. You don't know how much I regret hurting you. If I could do it all over again, things would be so different. Emily asks her searchingly, who's doing this to you? Who are you hiding from? Uh, Allison thought she knew, but she was wrong. A shadow moves kind of behind them on the perimeter. Uh, that's why I need you, Em. Allison declares, help me find A so I can come home. Uh, and Emily says, that's who tried to kill you. Uh, but then there is a clattering sound nearby. What was that? Allison asks, immediately on alert. Who is out there? She turns tortured eyes on Emily and says, did you tell anyone about this? Allison runs as Emily turns around and sees Spencer cock-blocking Hastings. Allison hops into a freight elevator and tearfully hits the button to close it. Emily runs after her, screaming her name, pounding on the button to open the door, shouting that she is sorry. Uh, it is so painful to watch. Her heart is breaking right in front of us, and everything she ever wanted finally seemed like it was right there in her grasp. The elevator comes back down and opens, but there is no Allison to be seen. She has disappeared again, rather than look for her elsewhere in this very warehouse where it seems quite likely she still is. Emily turns on Spencer with blind fury in her eyes. Oh, man. What a scene. First of all, there's just so much beautiful hair in this scene. It's all, like, pretty hair. Yes! Yes, you know that Allison probably spent some time on her hair before this date as well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and, like, Spencer bull in a china shop Hastings back there, just, like, clanging around. I mean, uh, I think Spencer got overly excited because she also thought maybe they were going to have sex. <laughs> like, maybe she did. But, yeah, this scene is just, it's utterly devastating. I mean, the Emily is so desperate through all of this and so overwhelmed. You know, she's just vibrating, like you said. And it really, you know, it's like the minute she sees Allie, Everything she has been telling herself about how over it she is, about how she's done with Allie, about how she doesn't believe in Allie anymore. You know, she she doesn't she's fine. You know, she's all of that. It all goes out the window because Allie is here and Allie is saying these things. And I, the line, you know, if I could do it all over again, things would be so different. I think that's such a great line for Allison, like definitely as it pertains to Emerson, but also just as it pertains to her whole life. Like Allie is this, you know, this character who has made these sort of wild choices her whole life uh, that have landed her in this extremely precarious situation. And this idea of her kind of, the idea of Allie, who never showed any self-doubt in the before time, saying this, I would I would do it, everything would be so different, I would make different choices, like, what a thing, what a place for her to come to. I think it's a real moment of, of character growth for her, um, and it makes me sad, you know, that then it just... <laughs> 
she ends up being so flattened out by the end of the series because I think it's such a it's such a complex idea for at the time who is a very complex character. Yeah, I I definitely agree. And I think that when you look at when you look at the way that Allie was, like when we think about the summer before Allie disappeared, where she had like Ian that she had this flirtation with, she had Prezra that she had a flirtation with, she had Wilden that she had a flirtation with. Like, you know, she had all these guys uh, that were kind of jockeying for position that she was dangling on a string. And she also had Emily. And when it comes down to it, like when the chips are down, uh, she has by this point learned that like the way that Emily cared about her was so much more valuable and so much like more durable Mm -hmm. uh, than all of these, than all of these kind of unimportant uh, men who've gone by the wayside or who've proven to be like dead or dangerous by now. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. And Emily has been this one constant. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think that it's just like, you know, taking the long view, she's just like, you know, she's had a lot of time by herself to like reflect on what happened and who loves her and who hates her and how things got to this point. And I do believe like, you know, there's still and, and Spencer is going to say this later that Allison is still playing a game here. And I think that that could be true, but I think that it is also, uh, I think it is also plausible that there is a level on which Allison means everything that she is saying to Emily at this point. Whether or not Allison's playing a game, she's taken a big risk in order to meet Emily tonight. Like, Emily is someone who Allison is willing to, like, put her freedom on the line for here, uh, as she did when she pulled Emily out of that barn. So... I definitely think that this is like this is the scene when you watch it uh it's it's really hard like it's hard for me to imagine people watching this and not understanding that Emily's feelings are not one-sided that Emily's love mm-hmm. is something uh that Allison returns like in a queer way not in a gal pals being pals sort of way right right yeah yeah, I I agree. This scene is is it has so much charge to it and so much um so much feeling behind it. I mean, it's definitely even though they don't kiss in this scene, it's it's easily one of the most passionate Emerson scenes we ever get. Well, and the thing about Emerson is that they never talk about their feelings, never ever. Uh yeah. and this is like this is a small scene, but it is one where there is like a lot of ground that's being given over. Like there's a lot of emotional content that's moving back and forth between them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And they're just, I mean, that moment when they see each other and they embrace and it's just like, it, it, there's so much feeling in that moment, in that hug. Yeah. 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 Beautiful. Oh, but Emily, <laughs> whirls around marching back over to Spencer spitting basically and stared her away by following here following her here um Spencer's you know Spencer's like how could Allie disappear and Emily's like she didn't disappear you scared her away Spencer thought that Emily was putting herself in danger Emily says she wasn't Spencer apologizes Emily says that Allie will never reach out to her again, but Spencer recognizes that Allie is playing games with them, that she saw that Emily was pulling away, and now she is making Emily feel special. 
Emily says that that's sick, but Spencer counters that it's brilliant. Emily says that Allie was different tonight. She was sincere. But Spencer points out that uh, Allie's words show that she is trying to divide them as she uh, quotes back the things Allie was saying about not being sure if she can trust the rest of them. Emily says that Allie wouldn't do that and is then absolutely enraged when she realizes that Spencer was listening in on their whole private conversation, which, like, obviously, Emily, like, <laughs> her hands over her ears. <laughs> like, what, are you, what do you think she was doing back there? Uh, Spencer steps forward, stares into Emily's eyes, and in a voice a lot lower than is strictly necessary, says, we can't let Allie come between us. Emily, though, Emily will not be persuaded. She screams, don't! And uh, Spencer... Because Spencer tries to touch her, too, when Spencer's saying that. She, like, reaches her hands out to put them on Emily's arms. Yeah. Um, Spencer, like, kicks a a, um, a shelf, and it goes into the sound of a plate smashing. Um, What's hard here is, like, Spencer is making some great points like she's making some some points based on logic and based on the history of Allie Emily is not in a place where there is going to be any logic Emily is all in her feelings here she is all in her Emerson feels and her and there is an answer can say at this moment that's going to talk Emily out of that right now you know, this is so interesting because I feel like a thing that a lot of the liars don't understand throughout this episode is Emily is in love with Allison. Emily was right. in love with Allison. Like, they clearly have not processed, like, the depth of that relationship in a real way. Like, they kind of have it on, like, oh, you know, they kissed in a library. You know, like, they're, they're not on the same page. Uh, in terms of how deep this really goes. Yeah, I agree. And I mean, Spencer is sort of consistently the one to kind of call out Emily's alley feelings or perhaps be jealous of Emily's alley feelings or perhaps a bit of both. Um, But I mean, yeah, Spencer, like you've done some crazy things for Toby. You know, you've done, you've made some wild choices related to Toby. Like, yeah. Yeah. Oh, this is a rough, I mean, this is a rough scene to, to watch Emily being like heartbroken because Allison has run away. And it's a rough scene to watch Spencer get yelled at because she's not wrong. And Emily's not wrong. Like, it's not a great idea to go meet maybe Allison by yourself on the word of your previous nemesis, Uh, you know, because you suddenly trust them. And, uh, you know, Emily is right that she she can trust Allison. Her Allison is different from Spencer's Allison. And I think that it's really interesting to note here uh, that Allison has been away for so long that all of their memories of her are years old. And everything that's happened to Allison, they don't know. They don't know what all she's gone through. It could be anything. None of them has, like, actual information on how Allie will react or what Allie is like right now. So all of them are imagining that Allie is just like them. Like Emily Mm -hmm. believes that Allison is sincere because Emily in her feelings is sincere. Spencer thinks that Allison is being brilliant and trying to play them against each other because that's something that Spencer would think to do in a similar situation. And, and Hannah, even earlier when she was saying she doesn't think that Allison 
was at the B&B. She thinks that it was a scene that was set up for show. Hannah is trying to put on a good face for everybody in this episode. So everyone is really like the Rorschach of Allie is really showing yeah. here as everyone like mirrors what they're feeling onto her. Yeah, the way that they project everything onto her, it's it's so it's so true. So oh yo, so there's then something else happens. <laughs> there's more to the episode. It's not just this. Oh, um, so Hannah and her mom are having a great time throwing plates. Uh, Hannah wants a whole new stack, and she thanks her mom for basically giving her what she needed here. Yes, mother knows best for sure. Um, so Toby sits on the couch, tearful, as an equally tearful Spencer arrives. He got her message, but he signed the agreement anyway. He is super dismissive. Um, even when, you know, she says that her dad manipulated him, Toby agrees that that might be true. But he talked to his dad, and this is what's best for their family. And here is yet another circle Spencer is on the outside of. So it's it's like, it's so hard, because there was... First, it was her dad and Toby. Then it was her dad and her mom. Then it was Emily and Allie. And now it's Toby and his dad. It's like Spencer is is completely on the outside looking in this episode. Um, Spencer still wants them to get to the bottom of the cover-up. But Toby needs to be done with this. And Spencer, so do we. Let's let it go. Um, Marion didn't kill herself. and that, And he knows that. And that's all that matters. Um, again, as we pointed out, like his priorities and all of this have gotten a little muddled maybe a lot muddled uh he tells her to let it go and while i hate how he's treating her i would also like spencer to let it go and would like for this storyline to be over spencer cries i mean yes but the fucking nerve of this guy I know. Uh, after he made her like keep this secret for a whole half season while he's off stealing rvs and getting back in bed with a after he previously joined that team and faked his own death etc like, after all that, he's yelling at her, telling her that she needs to let it go? Oh, my goodness. I know. I know. Mm. Ah. So, Hannah is in her room, looking at her phone. Uh, she dials a number and leaves a message uh, saying that she's been going over the past few weeks in her mind, trying to pinpoint the moment I lost you, wondering if she could have done things differently. She wants the person on the other end to know it was the best year of her life. And I know we're supposed to assume that this is Caleb, but I want it to be Mona so much. Everyone has a secret girlfriend in this episode. I don't make the rules. Well, I feel like um, I feel like uh, Hannah is basically quoting that Taylor Swift song, "The One," to Caleb mm-hmm. here, mm-hmm. or to the mystery person, or on the to other Mona, or, or to, to Mona herself. Who knows? Also, like, lol at her being like, "I've been replaying the past few weeks, and this has been the best year of my life." It's like. Don't do this script. Like, don't put time frames <laughs> in here that you can't, you know, don't. Right, like, right. Now add. now that we're on, like, November 45th, this is just not a good look. Exactly, exactly. Um, so, Aria, this is, like, this is great because, like, uh, Presria are, they are so gross at the end of this episode, but, like, they're <laughs> supposed to be, so it's great. Aria is cutting up a possibly homemade dessert. Um, for 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 her and Presra to dig into, and they like disgustingly dig into it together. She like puts a whole bunch of whipped cream and chocolate sauce on it. He like grabs it with his fingers and shoves some in her mouth. It's oh. so gross, but at least it's supposed to be. 
<laughs> well, I mean, I don't think that she needs help eating this cake that she just baked. Like, she just fed herself a piece of it moments before. Obviously, he just likes to see her as a child. Yeah, and like, I don't know, like, grooming her for their wedding day or something. It's it's Ooh. gross. Uh, elsewhere, Jake is wailing on a dummy. Uh, he goes over to his old heavy bag to kick it and comes down grimacing in pain with a stab wound on his foot. He heaves himself up to investigate, and his bag has a bunch of knives inside of it. We hear the sound of Prezra's laughter and, you know, do a contrast switch to he and Arya still eating the cake and then having sex. Great juxtaposition of the malevolent and the everyday there. Yeah, it's it's great. It's and the two of them seem like so evil while he like kisses whipped cream off of her face. I, I kind of feel like you could almost watch this and be like, did Arya plant the knives? Yeah, this is a great time for is Arya a like how much does Arya know or not know about what's going on? Because she also was the one who was like talking about Jake's punch- punching bag earlier in the episode. Well, that is very true, but Prezra has cameras everywhere in Rosewood, so I'm sure that he was monitoring that conversation in real time. Good point. Good point. Yeah, he probably he probably had a camera sewn into her weird little Ella scarf. Yeah, and he probably had, like, a camera in the punching bag as well. Yeah, but I also just love, like, it's not one knife. It's, like, all of the knives. <laughs> well, and this is, like, I mean, not, I know this is supposed to just be, like, campy fun. Jake is going to stay away because he got a knife to the foot. But, like, when you think about the stuff that that is, like, just the stuff that Prezra is doing, like, oh, it wasn't so bad. He was only spying on every single person and gaslighting Spencer and, you know, like, uh, spying in Hannah's room. Like, this is another thing. He could have done, like, permanent nerve damage to this kid's foot. For no other reason than this kid truthfully reported that he was shouting and hitting a car of an unknown blonde woman. Yeah. Justice for Jake and his foot. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. He was going to go to Karate Nationals. Come on. (laughs) Whatever that is. I love when a show just like tax nationals onto some obscure competition. <laughs> oh yeah, karate nationals, that's a thing. It it reminded me of like Glee, how they're constantly yes. having like a sectionals or a states or like there's just always some higher level competition. So yeah, he's going to karate glee club nationals in my mind. The show community, they did an episode that was a parody of Glee that was brilliant. Like it was so, it was so note perfect. And one of the running jokes through that episode is they keep talking about like semi-nationals and like regionals and semi-national regionals. And they're like, and and one of the characters just keeps going, what the hell is sectionals? Like, I don't know what any of it means. Um, okay. The A tag. A opens a locker, presumably Shauna's locker. Uh, pulling out a picture of two little girls who are probably Allie and Shauna and ripping the card in half and burning the Shauna part. Now, I know that we're meant to be like, ooh, something bad is going to happen to Shauna. But I think actually this is Shauna burning this part of the card as a way of like symbolizing the end of her friendship with Allie. Right. Um, yeah. Or just destroying the evidence. Sure, but, like, because Shauna, at this point, is, like, officially switching her allegiance to, like, Team Yes, Jenna, right? I think, yes, I think so. Yeah, and that's the end of the episode. 
What an episode. Now, do you agree after we've after we've talked about it? Like, do you agree that this is like the best Emerson scene or are there other Emerson scenes? I know you're really a fan of the the dream sequence, not a dream sequence from last week. I was. I was. You know, um I oof, I feel like the two of those together are really they're really good, which I know is kind of a kind of a cop out, but you know, I had actually forgotten how I think I was so much remembering how when uh, Allison comes back, like how Emerson sort of seems like it's going to happen. And then it just like dies for like, (laughs) basically I had forgotten how much Emerson, good Emerson stuff there was around this little section of the show. Um, And yeah, I think that these are definitely, definitely some of their best scenes. I mean, I think that they're, I feel like the dream sequence, possible dream sequence is like great kind of like Emily processing Allie, her Allie feels. But I feel like the scene in this episode is like best romantic Emerson, probably. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the pickings are unfortunately slim. Uh, They're very slim. But I think that, uh, yeah, I I think that this is probably my my favorite Emerson. I do like them a lot in Miss Me Times 100. Uh, but I think all in all, I think all in all, this is, as you said, like the most romantic and passionate. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's crazy that it's like, or it's just wild that it's like, it's the most romantic and passionate and they don't even kiss. Right. Right. Like by the time they're actually kissing, there's like zero passion. Sadly, I know. I know. When is the, I guess the next time that they're going to kiss is in Miss Me Times 100 and then... Then they're going to kiss on the couch at Allison's house, right? Is the next time. Yeah. And then they have yeah. like their, their, like they have their hookup in the woods, which is like. Oh, uh, right, right. The the picnic and the ankle brushing and the candles. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. It's, you know, I, I, I was, I was, um, <laughs> for, for for research fic purposes, I was rewatching some uh, some April and Sterling scenes this week, and it's like, <laughs> man, that's sh- like just comparing the like level of like queer passion that that show afforded us versus PLL, it is like night and day. And we're talking about just like in a couple of episodes. Like if they had been allowed to do a season two, I can only imagine like how much we would have gotten. That show was so generous with its queer passion and PLL is not, which is why like, I feel like uh, episodes like this stand out where Emerson like gets a chance to be like, I I feel like this is an Emerson centric episode, like all of the action, like so much of the action with Emily and her dynamic with the other liars is like colored and informed by like the, just like the quiver of love that she is still feeling for Allison. Mm -hmm. Uh, in these moments for sure for sure I agree um and but it's also like it's weird too like I mean I think it's intentional but it that Paige is so backgrounded in all of like not even backgrounded like she's just absent in all of this yeah I like this is the part where like Emily should have broken up with Paige already like when when Emily is like reckoning uh, with with this level of emotional content for Allison, like it's 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 not great. It's not great for her and Paige right now. 
I feel like um, an interesting discussion that I'm going to bookmark for our shadow play episode, but I'm going to say it here so that we remember it. The, uh, the, the, the hookup between Paige and Emily, would that have made more sense if it was Allison and Emily? Oh, I I think that would have been really, I think that would have been really interesting. But remember, it's in Spencer's mind. Um, That's true. That's true. On, Maybe, yeah. <laughs> on that note, we have talked before about... Uh, Lucas like standing behind the curtains while <laughs> Hannah and Caleb are maybe having sex in the kitchen. If if Spencer had not made the loud clanging noise, <laughs> uh, if she had just stayed back there eavesdropping, uh, do you think if Emerson had started making out and getting hot and heavy, do you think Spencer would have just stood there and watched them? I do. <laughs> Yes, I think that in her mind she would have justified it as like Allison might be manipulating us. <laughs> this whole thing might be a manipulation. So I need to watch and maybe just maybe like draw some diagrams or something. Just like <laughs> maybe maybe take a video of it yeah. on my phone so I can just review it later for you know for notes. Exactly. Yes, and it's very important as Emily's friend. I would not be being a good friend to. Emily, if I did not very diligently watch this entire interaction start to finish without blinking. Yes, yes, I exactly. You would have justified it. Yeah. You're yeah. not wrong. For sure, for sure. And then, like, Mona would be like, Spencer, can I get my hands on that video? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. So the next episode is Bite Your Tongue. And that means the next episode is Act normal, bitch. Oh, my goodness. What a great run of episodes we are in right here. This is like every every episode is a joy to go through. Oh, my God. It absolutely is. Yes. It's also uh, Hannah gets a message in her tooth. Uh, oh. Spencer, Spencer makes the first real uh, connection between Prezra and Allie. Um, there's just, there's just a lot. Uh, Hannah's getting more into like investigating the mysteries. The new guidance counselor, Jesse is in town. Mona's back. Mike's back. Oh, so much, so much good stuff. Wow. Well, that is, that is another great one to be looking forward to. I know. I'm really, I'm really, really excited. I'm really excited. Do we have anything more that we want to say about Close Encounters? I'm I'm good. I think I have talked out all of my Emerson feels about it at this time. Okay. I'm good. Good. I'm glad that was, yeah, a cathartic experience. Not the greatest episode title, I will say. Like, this is one where I never remember the episode title. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. But, you know, they can't all be winners. Um, well, if you have thoughts on this episode, we want to hear from you. You can, of course, send us an email at everybodyapodcast at gmail.com. You can also check out our Instagram at everybodyapodcast or send in a rating and review on iTunes. We would appreciate it. Uh, yeah, we are excited to march along with Bite Your Tongue next week. Till then, take care. Take care and act normal, bitch. <laughs> 